This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R. We work out our bodies. Let's work out our minds. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month. You're like, what is BetterHelp? Why would I go there? Because it's it's online therapy, baby. That's right. You don't have to sit in traffic. Uh, It's cheaper. It's international. So wherever you are in the world, your therapist can go with you. And you don't even have to sit in an office. The best thing is you can do this from your phone. Uh, You can text. You can call. Within 48 hours, they're going to match you up with your own therapist. Some people have their own chef, their own personal trainer. You get your own therapist. How cool is that? And here's the best part. If you don't like the therapist, you can just find yourself another one. You know, They will match you up with another therapist. Because I have friends who are looking for therapist right now and they're saying how hard it is to find one everybody everybody got a therapist now it seems like nowadays so get one and and if you're one of those people who are like well my life is good everything's good i don't need a therapist that's why now is the time to get one because when life hits the fan and and inevitably it does right uh that's not the time to look for a therapist because it takes time to build rapport to connect for them to know your backstory, for you to feel comfortable. So get a therapist now, somebody that you can talk to, build a relationship with, and then you can take a break. But then you have, you know, you got that therapist in your pocket when things do hit the fan, when life does punch you in the face. And then you got that, now it's not even a therapist you're calling, it's a friend, but it's a friend who's gonna, who's gonna like make you feel safe and secure and hold all your secrets and, and show you how to grow and get unstuck. It's, it's the best friend in the world, right there in your pocket, on your cell phone. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. Get that 10% off your first month now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Kathy Art. Ar- Armeus or yes! Armelis? Armeus, no, right? Armeus, you got it. Our, oh my God. I, I just realized, I was like, oh my God, there's two L's in Spanish. How would you say that? <gasps> I love that you thought that. I, <laughs> I get, <laughs> I just always assume that I know people's name until I actually have to say it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm walking into uh, a trap here. Uh, <laughs> Kathy Armeus, and we met, uh, first of all, you you did a TED Talk how, called How to Rock a TED Talk. Uh, has gotten hundreds of thousands, millions of views. And then you also have written, you've written two books. And was interesting, and I'm excited to have you on, because of how we met. I was, like, walking down the street in Marina Del Rey, and you were on a balcony, I think. And I, I, like, you, I think you said something to me, or I, I forgot how, how we opened, but we just started talking. I think we talked for, like, an hour, and then you are on my <laughs> old podcast. <laughs> yeah. and yep. And uh, I just re- I was just like, my God, your energy, your 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 light, your message, all of that, and and you stood out to me because I remember you wrote a book, uh, it, what, what was it, the Unbreakable Rules of Marketing, and then by happenstance, by happenstance, you uh, not only are you on Oprah, but Oprah says to you, do you want me to promote this book, or have you come out and do an interview? And you're like hold up my book and then well i wish up. oprah would have me i wish that happened wait no that's not what happened that is not what happened I thought, <laughs> no 
I'm like, is this a, are we talking about like a fantasy thing or is this like a real? I thought that that's how you got the <laughs> Nike thing. Like it blew up. Oh, maybe, maybe that was somebody else. Maybe. I love, I love the people that you hang out with. Leo. Oh that's, my you, God. You hang out with some ballers. That's awesome. <laughs> I had our origin story, but you know what? This is a testament of, we think we remember our history so yeah, well, so definitely. clearly. And then we're walking around in these stories and then to come to find out it's not what happened. It's not what happened, but you're pretty, you're pretty dead on about how we met and we were both walking in Marina Del Rey. And I, I think that you were out like, now I might be getting this wrong, right? Or you seemed like you were in like a meditative space and you were just in this like cool space walking around. And, and I, I remember asking you a question. I don't remember what that question was, but immediately I felt that like energetic, like this dude's super cool. And then you're like, what are you here for? And I'm like, I'm doing this thing for Nike. And you're like, what? That's so cool. And then like, we just had the cool, like banter going back and forth. Like, you know, and I remember, I just remember you were like, I got to have you on my podcast. And I was like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, we'll just do it at the hotel. And we did. That's so crazy. <laughs> that, that was so much fun. And, and so I, I wanted, one of the questions I start off with a lot of my guests is what got you out of bed this morning? Mm. Well, do you want the real thing? Cause really what got me out of bed this morning is the fire alarm went off. <laughs> Tell me about that. Like, was it in a house in the building? It was in the house. We, uh, we have a really good friend of ours who's going, who's living with us. It's, uh, going through stage four cancer treatment. And he had just gotten back from this epic trip last night and we picked him up at the airport and then he woke up this morning and I'm sure he was just dying to have like an awesome meal. And he started making breakfast and all of a sudden, I mean, I'm dead asleep. And all of a sudden I, mean, I hear and like, cause you know, that all the fire alarms are connected to each other. And so they're all going in like, like unison all throughout the house. And it just like, it was one of those moments where you just jump up and you're like, my heart was racing. And I have to quickly go, is this like a real fire or not a real fire? <laughs> and it Oh wasn't. my God. That is not, yeah, that's not the way to wake up. Cause your part of your brain is like, is that part of a dream or is this reality? And then it's, do we have fire? Do you have fire extinguishers in the house? We do. I just, I can only think of where one of them is. And if I had to get to it, I don't think it would be easy. <laughs> We have two, and I just discovered they're both empty because I used it oh. on a, 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 my oven caught on fire. <laughs> and <gasps> apparently I, I used both fire extinguishers to put it out, and now they're on empty, so I got to go get new Okay, so PSA to everybody to get their, check your fire extinguishers. <laughs> so, I, you know, I want to start off because beforehand we got to talking, and one of the beautiful things that, we both have in common is that we love journaling and you were talking about how this weekend you were feeling a little heavy and it was mm. in writing down what was going on for you that you were kind of able to unpack that can you tell me more about this feeling of heavy and uh and how journaling kind of helped you unpack some of those emotions yeah yeah you know one of the things I do in my professional life, which I did not realize how much it would bleed into my personal life is that I ask people when I'm coaching them, cause I'm a speaker coach, right? I coach people to give Ted talks and, and, you know, storytelling, whatnot. And I always tell people to keep a story file, Leo, cause I think it's really important. I mean, you would know this as a comedian, trying to find material is hard when you're trying to like dream it up, but things are constantly happening to you. So if you can, if you can journal in that sense of like 
just writing it down, even if it's just a little notation that says this happened or this would be funny or that somebody mispronounced my name and it was hilarious. And like, you know, um, and then I really started to, although I've journaled my whole life, don't get me wrong. Like I can go back and we'll probably talk about some of the things I did when I was young and, you know, writing poems and journaling. So I've done that forever. I, I really feel like it's a way to get the inner thoughts out and to bring them to life and to really deal with them, to look at them and really say, this is what I'm feeling, but feelings can come and go in a moment. So then I really started realizing and telling people about the story file uh, also really was important in my, my mental health life and my, my life and how I'm doing as a human and how I fit into the world of just being able to like write it out, especially if you can't if you feel like you can't articulate it, it's so easy to do it in writing than to try to tell somebody. So that's what I think. Absolutely. Because sometimes when it's in your head, it's too jumbled up. It's almost like trying to clean yeah. out your closet. You almost have to throw everything on the bed <laughs> and then slowly yeah. put it back. You got to Marie Kondo that thing. Yeah. Yes, now, exactly. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people typically don't describe a feeling of heavy. I think most people go to the word depression or mm. sad. How do yeah. you separate heavy from depression? Because they both can kind of feel the same. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just I'm going to state it just for just to say it right. Like I'm I'm no therapist or anything. I can only talk from my own experiences, but I've definitely been depressed before where I've been diagnosed and it's been a real depression. I would say that the heavy. So if, if me in my own life, if I look at my journey, my stages, Heaviness comes before depression and sometimes, and then sometimes it doesn't. This feeling I felt this weekend was like a lot of little things that just made my heart feel really down. And I couldn't do any of the normal things that I can do just to like, can't just put a song on and start singing and be like, yep, I'm out. Um, it, it was just a feeling of like, maybe you were trying to climb up the side of a wall but there was oil on that wall and it was flat and you just, you just couldn't like, you couldn't get out of there. That That's kind of, that's how my heavy feels. And it's almost like you have to rest for a minute to be able to get the strength to get out. I completely get that. For me, it's the same thing where when I feel heavy, I almost have a feeling of needing things that are heavier. So like the weighted blanket or yeah. putting on a weighted, vest or um a constriction not yeah. not the constriction jacket but uh the 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 tight the under armor clothing yes. that's under really armor. restrictive <laughs> yeah like i yeah. i just i i need to almost lean into the heaviness to it's like putting on ankle weights and and pulling a sled <laughs> yeah to actually then feel buoyant and light again How, oh my gosh so, can i make does a confession that resonate? Oh yeah. It resonates so hard. Can I make a confession? I, when I would feel heavy, there was a, there was a period of time where I was actually going through, like a, I was going through a divorce. Right. And I felt heavy a lot. Like, I mean, I literally would walk into speaking engagements and I have ma mascara on, right. I'd be in my car. I'm like bawling in my car. I'm like, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm like trying to like wipe, you know, make, trying to get, like look normal. And I go in and I feel like I'm like, marketing you know i walk in and i have to like put on this like you know i have to be on and i go back in the car and i start crying again and i just was feeling very heavy and you know what would actually help this is really this is a confession because i feel like this is sad but 
when I watch something heavier, so I would put on SVU a lot, which is really dark and really heavy. And it would somehow comfort me and not comfort me to know that like there's bad things going on or there's worse things, but and it was almost like, it was like, it helped me feel like what I was feeling was real. Like there's rawness out there. People are going through stuff and, oh yeah, I could relate Leo. That, 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 that's kind of a metaphorical heavy blanket. I think. That's so true. It's so funny. Cause I find that I cannot watch SVU right now because I'm not in that space and yeah. I almost need things more neutral, like cooking shows. Yeah. So like my <laughs> heaviness can either go where I need SVU or I need like Bugs Bunny cartoons. Oh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right? It's like either one. And, right. and then when I'm in a more grounded space, then it's like cooking shows, house hunters, <laughs> like yeah. things that don't require a much emotional uh, baggage. So it is interesting what we gravitate towards and how that yeah. lets us know what we're feeling. Well, isn't it kind of cool that like, I mean, life is all about, we, I think we focus a lot. People want to say like, you just like do everything to be happy, but that's not like the fullness of life. Actually, the fullness of life is to experience every range of emotion. And how would you know if you were happy, if you were, if you were happy all the time, like how would, how would you even know that's happiness? That could be complete depression and you don't know it. You just, cause it's one emotion and you don't want to, I don't know. I just, the monotoneness of any one emotion is not the human experience. Like, That's a strong word, the monotoneness of any human emotion. You know what made me happy yesterday is I love to cook and pouring I put olive oil on everything. Mm. And for the first time yesterday, this is so insane because I'm 46. I bought an olive oil bottle that had the spigot at the top that allows yeah. you to drizzle it. Yes. I the first I felt so giddy inside mm. i was like oh my god i got to use a spigot because they'll see it at the restaurants i'm like every time i see it i go i'm gonna get one of those and put it in my olive oil bottle and i never do and then yesterday i did it and i was so happy but what, that so happiness landed like pay, five seconds i was gonna say did it pay off like did it pay off was it yeah okay so it was like a it was a it was a quick like it was a, like tap into happiness <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was just a quick pit stop. It was like yeah. stopping, you know, pick up some gas, get a little happiness, and then and then take going. off, and then take off again. I love that, Leo. You, you talked about your. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say I, I, you know, in my TED talk actually, which wasn't about how to rock a TED talk. I want to clarify that too. I talked about, um, I talked about finding happiness, you know, um, through helping other people, and I, I did touch on that being like going through the divorce and feeling like really down and depressed, and how the only thing that really helped me was helping somebody else, you know. But I did talk about two different in my TED talk. I talked about two different types of happiness eudaimonic and hedonic and hedonic is what you just described. It's in the moment happiness. It's, it's like, wow, I just finally got this olive oil drizzly thingy and I love it. And I feel amazing right now. Cause I feel like legit, like I'm doing what the, the restaurants are doing. And, and, but it's, but the eudaimonic happiness is more of your, like, if you had a long term, like it's maybe your credit score, it's like your credit score for happiness. Maybe <laughs> it's the long term, like how are you doing overall? So, wow, the credit score for happiness. Wow. <laughs> so, so how? Okay, I want to lean a, a little bit more into that. Actually, I want to come back to that, and I, I want us to to circumnavigate because that's such a, a beautiful way to, I think, to tell end it. 
but I, I want us to get a little deeper here and switch gears because you also shared with me that as a kid, you had attempted suicide. And can you talk to me a little bit about that and what led to that and how you worked your way through that? Yeah. So you know how, you know how when you're in the moment, especially as a kid, you experience something and you experience it in a way. And then when you're older, you get a chance to look back and you can have a totally different experience or understand at least how that experience was happening to you in a different way that you couldn't understand in the moment. I now can understand that with suicide, there's so many phases, right? Um, in fact, I heard something very powerful that I, I would love to share with you um, that I've heard in the last couple of years that never made sense to me until that, like that one moment I heard it. And I, maybe I've heard it before, but this lady said, don't ever discount somebody that's attempted suicide, like thinking, oh, they're just bluffing even if they just talk about it and never actually did anything because they could be working up the courage to do it. And now that I look back, I, my only attempt was something very like it, it would almost be laughable to somebody, but it's not because I do feel like I was working up the courage in that moment, in that period of my life. But I had I, I, I had started in, in kind of what would be phase one or the way I would describe myself in phase one, where the idea was there of like, oh, my life is horrible. I hate it. I, I think I would be better off to not be here. This is horrible. Like I can't handle this. There's too much weight on me. I don't like this. Um, to then starting to write poems. I would, I have, I still have a big I have a big box of these old poems that I wrote. If you read them now, you're, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe how dark it was and how much I glorified dying. A lot of the poems were, were very much glorifying the act of dying and how I would do it. Oh, crazy details. Um, and then I got to a point where one night I was by myself in the house and I, I, I had, I broke a bottle and I, I, I cut my arm across the top. So it was almost like it, you know, it was almost like I was testing out how it would feel. I knew I wasn't, I mean, I have a scar. If you look at my arm, you can like, if you're standing in front of me, you can see it. It's very faint, but it was like, I was testing it out to see how it would feel. I mean, that's how I put it together now. In that moment, I thought I was doing something. I was like, you know, I bled and I felt it. And, and of course, immediately in the moment, I was like, well, that was terrible. I don't like that at all. That doesn't feel good. And then I remember thinking, well, if I do do this, that's not a good way. That's, that just doesn't, I, I felt like I was being a baby about it. Like I, like, I didn't like that pain either. So that was the only actual attempt that I made. Um, I, I was able to get I was able to get some help through. So a lot of the things that were going on, we moved from, you know, back East and then we moved to LA and we got robbed within like a month of being there. My parents got divorced. There was just a lot of like, and those were the big things. There was a lot of like little things going on. Um, but we ended up getting like a family counselor that like worked with our entire family. And I have to say that that was kind of my first foot out the door. That was my first foot kind of to get out of that space 
and it and it helped me quite a bit. And I, and I mean, I'm kind of summing up in in, in a in a timeline, but talk yeah, to me was... about the little things. And and the reason why I'm asking about this is so many people are struggling and they are diminishing the weight of the little things, mm. whether it's uh, feeling neglected, abandoned, you know, parents and say, I love you, spending too much time with themselves. Like we diminish those things as if, oh, we should be able to brush that off and be okay. What were those little things for you that really, when you look back, you go, oh, that, that those added up. Oh, so much. I, I'm going to start with a really little thing that has burned in my mind that uh, it, it seems to look back on it. It seems like such a little thing. So we first moved to LA, right? My, my parents put me in, we, we were living in the Valley and my parents put me into this Catholic school and I had to walk. I, I measured it out. Now I had to walk 1.2 miles to get there, which is a it's a long way for like an eight-year-old to be walking. This is down Reseda Boulevard, by the way. Leo, I know you know the valley, so you know you know how that is. That's that was pretty intense. That was kind of a wild decision for my parents. But you know, come to find out later, they were going through a lot, and I'm sure they weren't really thinking about um, all of this. I so I show up on my first day of school, and you know the the teacher said these are all the things that you need to have, and one of them was a set of markers, right? And all the kids in the class, it was the Mr. Sketch markers. Do you remember those? The, the smelly markers, markers that had like, like the cherry and the lime or lemon. And um, everybody in the class had, it was like a fad back then. And so everybody had them. And my mom didn't want to get me the Mr. Sketch markers because they were more expensive than the regular Crayola ones or whatever. And so I didn't have them. And that was just like one more little thing on my plate. I felt ousted. None of the kids knew me. Uh, you know, I'm entering like it was second grade, I think second or third grade. So some of these kids had already been going, like, I felt like it was just one more, it was like one little piece that felt really heavy on me at that time. It was so wild. Like it just it was really, really heavy. It was so it burned in my head so much that Years later, I ended up buying, you know, ended up getting some of these markers, you know, because it was just like, it was, so it, I mean, even at that age, right. That was a, that was a little thing turned big, but I mean, you know, one nowadays, right. Like one as an adult is, I was thinking about this the other day, we go, we all go through like phases in life. Right. And there's different things. Like I have kids that are older now, and sometimes I feel the weight of a little moment where I'll feel really sad about something that I remember from when the kids were young, like something that I wish I could have done differently or just, or just even that weight of like, they're kind of, they're grown up and they're doing their own thing. And, and, and that weight of like, that's just the stage of life I'm in right now. I had kids really young and I, you know, so something as small as that. It's almost the weight of, is it regret of, I should have done like the weight of I should, the, the, the I should have, like I should have done this, I could have done that, the, the, all the opportunities that you miss versus taking the time to really appreciate the, what did go well and the fact that they're grown now and they're functioning adults in some way. And, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's very hard. It's, it's hard to go from regret to uh, appreciation. 
But I'm right there with you on a Catholic school thing because I went to a Catholic <laughs> school also. And mm-hmm. all the kids had, I forget what kind of shoes they were, but they were expensive shoes. They're like $70, $80 shoes. And I had mm-hmm. to get, I had to wear Payless shoes. And mm-hmm. what I hated about the Payless shoes is not even that they were Payless, is that the strings to tie them with were so cheap, they never stayed tied. So I was constantly having Tiny. to tie my <laughs> shoes <laughs> all day. And I was just so anxious about, am I going to trip over my shoe? But it was a small mm. thing, like you said. And, and I knew all the other kids knew that I had Payless shoes because they all had the same kind of shoes. It, yeah. It's tr- it, those little things, right? Yeah. That, that you value. the. Right. So you go into therapy. And what was it about the therapy as a kid where you go, okay, um, I'm on the way out. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget the lady's name. Her name was Mary. She used to come to our house actually, because um, my dad would end up getting remarried, and then there was we blended a family of me, my sister, and my brother, and then four uh, siblings, so that we had this kind of really big, but very not functional <laughs> Brady Bunch type of scenario. And so the lady would come into our house once a week and kind of talk to all of us and. I think I just started having some awareness and this was later again, I'm time timeline on this thing is many years later. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm a teenager at the time and I'm starting to understand that, that there is an entire human experience that I don't know anything about. And I've just experienced one little piece of it. I mean, she always would come in with these great analogies and it, and it started to make me understand what life on the other side might look like. And I never thought about life on the other side. You never thought about that as a kid, at least me. I mean, I just, I wasn't thinking like, where will I be when I'm an adult? What am I going to be doing? Well, like, you know, I never thought about those things. And so she started talking, you know, you know, some of my siblings got pretty, pretty badly bullied. And so she would even say things like, you know, like, in this moment, you're, you're feeling, you're feeling sad and you're feeling desperate and you're feeling like nobody cares about you or loves you, but it's so wild how like you'll become an adult and these people won't matter to you anymore. They won't, you won't, you won't remember who they are. And those kind of things, those were the kind of things I remember her specifically saying something like that. And I, you know, and for me, same thing, she would say anything that you're feeling right now, your brain has a crazy way of like, in one moment, you could feel so desperate. And in another, you could be like, oh my God, I'm eating ice cream. I'm the happiest person in the world. What just happened? What happened between second one and second 30? Like, so those were some of the things that I remember. How, how do you process emotions? Like you talked about feeling heavy and where, where does the heaviness then, what does it transition into? Does that question make sense? Like, you know, they start yeah. about the, the stages of grief and how you go from denial to sad to anger and all those. What does yeah. heaviness transition into for you? Yeah, I think heaviness transitions into a, it, it goes one of two places. Either there's a hard stop, again, my experience only, right? Sometimes there's a hard stop for me. Many times it's when I go to sleep, like I'll have a really hard, rough day. I feel down. I feel very heavy. I sleep and I wake up and I'm like, whoa, it like 
there must be some magic elves in the middle of the night, like, like you know, gathering all this stuff for me and just pulling it away because I'll wake up and it's gone. And then other times, so that's like, that's one scenario. And then another, and then other times it just slowly, it, it feels like a slow migration, but it's just slow. I slowly start to kind of get out of it. And then it almost feels like you're getting out of a funk. You know, you're just in a weird, you're like, I just felt in a funk. Yeah. <laughs> are you, when you, when you journal, do you ask yourself questions? Or are you freestyle journaling? Like how, how do you come up with the epiphanies of what's really contributing to your heaviness? Oh, I'm such a freestyler, Leo. I will like, I'll just write things and I'll just write what's like on my mind in that moment. And like, I, I might even write, ask myself a question. Like I, like I might be like, why am I feeling this way? I might write that actually down and then go, there's so much lightness or so much happiness or so many great things in my life. And I might be writing this out. And as I write it out, it makes me, it makes me more aware again of like, of everything and not just that focus. Cause I, I, for me, when I get heavy, sometimes I just, I allow that heaviness to, I'd like to stay in that little space. And I, and I can't, it's almost like when I was a kid, I couldn't go back. Just, there might be a wall, right? And you can't see on the other side of the wall. And so I've done the same thing. I get, my, get myself into this room and there, I've like put a wall in between me and the rest of my life and all the people that I love and all the things that I'm experiencing in the world. I just put a big wall and I put myself behind it. So with the, going back to, you know, you cut yourself with the glass and then you realize you don't like that pain either. What is it that you, looking back, you felt like you needed? What was the unmet need? Or what was the epiphany that you're like, this is what I really need, and since I'm not getting it, I feel, mm -hmm. I feel like I have to go this direction? Or did you process it in that way? God, I needed love. You know, I needed to feel loved at that moment. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel... I needed a hug really bad. Like, you know, I, and I, I can laugh about it now. Right. But it, like I, in all seriousness, like I really didn't, I wasn't feeling connected. I don't know. I didn't feel connected to my family. There was a lot going on. Um, I ended up, I ended up finding a connection and I feel like another way out was playing sports for me. It gave me the out to, to experience something and, and, and in some ways, actually, now that I'm even saying it out loud, in some ways, I found family love and connection through my teammates. And, and I, I was able to experience that a little bit then. But yeah, I, I feel like that's what was missing. Well, it's, it's ironic that sports is the one place where we get the most hugs, right? I mean, you get a yeah. hug almost every day from your, you get hugs, high fives, pats on the back you know, sometimes on the butt, but so much physical <laughs> affection that's accepted. Yeah. I mean, you pray together, you eat together, even if you get a little elbow nudge, you know, oh, I'm just playing with you kind of thing. Like there's so much touch. Was there not a lot of touch in the household? Was mom not reading you the bedtime story and stroking your hair? Yeah, not during that time, you know, that's, you know, again, that time like really was heavy for me and hard, but, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot going on in my parents' life. You know, my grandfather passed away, like right after we moved 
um, to LA. My mom felt a lot of guilt. My parents were going through a lot more than I understood. My grandparents on my dad's side moved into our house. There was a lot of chaos. We got robbed, like, and, and full-blown robbed, like where you, the, like maybe the old school robbing where you come home and like somebody came with a truck and like took everything like couches and things that like, why would anybody steal anymore? But, you know, uh, there was a, there was a lot, a lot of things going on, just so many things. And so I just, I don't fault anybody. I don't blame anybody for anything. There just wasn't a lot of extra room for those extracurricular things that should be basic. And, and that's beautiful to have that awareness because they're of what your parents were going through and what your parents' parents were going through, because it gives context to it. And I think it helps us to realize that everything that was happening wasn't because of us. And I think when we're young, we, we believe that, oh, did I do something wrong? Is that, am I a bad person? Is that why I'm not being touched? Do you find yourself like just asking your, your husband for a hug now? Just, can I just get a hug? Yeah. Yes. De- yes, definitely. <laughs> now, that, now that you say it, I just like, you come up sometimes you just open arms like, that that's the universal, like, Hey, I need a hug right now. Or you kind of tilt your head to the side. Like, I just need a hug. <laughs> don't even say anything to me. I don't need, like, I don't need anything but a hug. I just need a hug. <laughs> so, yeah. so going back, tell me about, you talked about the two types of happiness. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah. So there, when I was doing my research to give my uh, first Ted talk, I, I was trying to figure out what pulled me through in that space. And, you know, now today I would describe myself as a very happy, very positive person who also is very human and very much, you know, lives the full extent of, of life. But I was trying to figure it out in that moment, like what happened to me during this time that I became, when I was going through the divorce, I became a big sister through the big, big brother, big sister organization started realizing like, I was like, Oh, i I really needed this when I was a kid. I would have loved to have a big sister. And so I thought I was really doing a favor for her, but I realized that it really did a lot in my life. And so when I did the research on it, I realized, oh yeah, there's two types of happiness. There's hedonic, that's the in the moment, like I described. And it's just that feeling of like, you're you're doing something that you feel euphoric about, you love it. And it doesn't matter what it is. And it doesn't matter how small or grandiose it is. It just gives you that in the moment feeling. I got to see Ice Cube, who I loved my whole life. I just got to see him in concert in Vegas a couple months ago. Like I was in the best hedonic moment at that. I was like, nothing could shake my happiness in that moment. And then there's that eudaimonic. It's just, again, like I said, the, the, the happiness credit score, right? It's, it's how you're overall. And I, and I, I started to understand that the hedonic ones could, they can kind of build up to a, a bigger eudaimonic score. If you will, you can, if you can gather enough of these moments that, that bring you joy and happiness, you can start to make a shift, a bigger shift on your Cause you make, you don't, you're not just making the shift on like, you're making the shift on the way that you look at life. You're making the shift on your awareness of the positive things that are out there. You're starting to really shift more of your awareness than anything. Yeah. It, there's such a, I feel like happiness is a trending term right now. 
right? Yeah, Everybody wants to be sure. happy. And I think that in that pursuit of happiness, you know, shout out Will Smith, pursuit of happiness, yeah. <laughs> that people have fallen into addiction. And you shared that your husband struggles with addiction and, and that that's a part of um, the story of a lot of members uh, of your family and people that you're close and connected to. Talk to us about in addiction, what are we really trying to get? You know, I, I know that there's that high and that euphoria. What's driving? What have you found to to drive the addiction? Yeah. So um, when I married my husband, he is uh, he's a recovering alcoholic, eight years sober. He he is somebody I'm now that I'm understanding past and present family and loved ones that have struggled and are, and are struggling with addiction. I realized that, Oh my gosh, just the recovery journey is long and it's hard and it's very different for people. And my husband did it in a way that I'm it has brought about a lot of awareness to me because I think some people stop taking a substance and then other people go the long, harder route, which is what he did of like getting to majorly getting to the root of the problem and rewiring your brain just to look at life in a different way. Like he struggled with anxiety. He used to have a stutter when he was young. And these are all things that he would point to that would make him, you know, feel safe and secure when he was drinking. And then he realized it became a problem. And that makes me understand that, you know, Leo, you kind of touched on a, a little bit ago of like, you said that you were feeling the, like the way that you're feeling is the way that you, you know, you're feeling like some, something's happening to you, but that might not be the case. I feel like a lot of us are in that space where we don't, where we just we're experiencing life through a certain just the way you look at it right you're you're experiencing it only through your your filters and trauma can happen to anybody that is one thing i've really learned with people that are struggling with addiction you can have two people in the same household like siblings one completely you know gets enthralled by addiction the other one not, and they both had a different experience with their childhood and not in one of them just had experienced trauma. And, and that could have just been by the outlook of the, of the situation. You, you know what I'm saying? Where the other one, the same things happened, but it didn't put them in a traumatic space. So I, I, I any, you know, I think people are, trying their hardest to just be and sometimes addiction's a scary line you know you do something it makes you feel good and there's an invisible line in there somewhere where you weren't an addict and now you just crossed over and you are an addict and now you're dealing with a whole different thing because now you're dealing with an actual disease and it that that now has become something totally different than than just trying to soften or dampen how you, you know, dampen this blow of how you're feeling. You know, I love how you mentioned that there was two ways of treating addiction. One is you just stop doing, you know, whatever it is, stop drinking, you stop 
smoking, you know, you stop watching porn, whatever your addiction is. Um, yep. And then the other is to get to the root of it, which you're right. It takes years to actually get to the root of it. And it's interesting because I struggle with, uh, as I've shared with my podcast and the listeners, uh, sugar addiction. And one of the things that helps me to calm the craving is to remind myself that I am safe and I am secure. And it, and I'm just now realizing that part of what was driving my anxiety was not feeling safe and or secure, whether that's safe in my relationships or financially or in the neighborhood I'm living in or in my career. Like there's so many different ways that I can feel unsafe or, you know, global warming, reading the news, mm -hmm. all those things can conjure up feelings of uh, insecurity and like a threat to my safety. And so I have to consciously tell myself I am safe. I am secure mm -hmm. for now. You know, right now I'm safe. There's, there's no immediate threats. Mm -hmm. um, so when you talk about the long road that your husband has gone down, uh, I'm assuming therapy was involved. Like, what were some of those things that you saw him doing to help get to the root of his addiction? Well, I met him after he was already sober. So he had already, there was already a huge part of the journey that he had went through. Um, but I would come to find out that, of course, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, therapy involved and, and AA has just become his home. Like being able to be in a space with people where you have a similar yet very different and maybe how it, how it turned out and how it showed up in your life, but very similar, like connecting thing. But what I've continued to watch him do is how he keeps going back, um, to this space of trying to help other people, trying to tackle his own demons, whatever they might be. And to really, uh, to never, to never settle on, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not drinking, but to really, and he's very much a spiritual person. And so he kind of understands how it all is connected. You know, one of the things that I, I'm hearing so much more about dealing with addiction is honesty. The more honest we can be in our relationships, the less, you know, it, re, it will alleviate that weight sometimes we feel on our shoulders. A lot of times the weight is from not expressing our, our full emotional experience or, you know, being completely honest. How do you bring up when something is bothering you in the relationship? Like, how do you two resolve conflict when there, when mm. there are challenges between you two? How do you bring that up? What, what's the... What's the foundation of that? God, I love that you mentioned honesty. It It is such a value that I hold so dear to my heart. There have been many times throughout my life where people weren't honest, uh, family, family members included, you know, and that, and I can relate to that feeling that you said, Leo, of not feeling safe and secure. And when, when there is dishonesty, it is the most unsettling, insecure feeling you can ever feel ever for, at least for me, again, my experience, that is like the worst place. And that is something that you nailed. You nailed it. Like my husband, John, he like 
part of a big principle for his recovery is honesty, honesty to himself, first of all, and then honesty to other people, everybody in his life, uh, his boss at work, you know, his, his people, his own sponsor, people he sponsors, uh, me, uh, anybody, you know, his parents, everybody, right? Um, when we have uh, something that we need to deal with, that's the first place to go is even honesty about how you're feeling. I, we literally just had this this weekend. I felt like I couldn't talk to him about it. And I was just like, I just got to be honest. I, I'm down. I just, and I can't talk. I'm frozen right now. I just feel, and he was just super loving and supportive. And was like, I, I understand that. And when you're ready, I want you to know that you should, and you can. And so I love that Leo on honesty is the, the first place to start. Is there a book that you've read that is fictional that has connected or resonated with you? And it doesn't have to be anything about mental health, but just a book that you mm. just like, ah, I, like either a book that you've reread or a book that you wish uh, your, your, your daughter would read or. Yeah. I love the book wonder. Remember the, the movie? It's like this kid's book. It was like a kid's book that turned into a New York Times bestseller and then became a movie because it was phenomenal. And I I, I remember that my uh, one of my cousins is a teacher and she she's like, oh, you should read this book. And then I read it and I was like, wow, this it, I mean, I remember crying several times throughout the book because the way that the book was the way that the book was written was so brilliant. It was like the experience um, of a kid. And then every chapter was everybody. It's the way he experienced everybody. And then it was everybody else, how they, what they were going through. So you could see different perspectives, right? You're like, okay, this person's bullying him at school, but then this is what's going on in their life. And so it was, yeah, it was just very, it was a, it was a great life book for me. Oh, wow. I had to check that out. Um, is there yeah. any part of your story that we haven't talked about that you think would be of value to anybody struggling with suicidal thoughts or feeling heavy or addiction? Yeah, I, I just think I, you know, there's a lot, right. There's a lot that we could, we could probably talk all day, both of us on what we've experienced. And I really, I, first of all, I just want to thank you, Leo, because what a great, what a great podcast to be doing. And thank you for your honesty and your vulnerability. I never really talk about this in public. So this is kind of a first for me and I just appreciate your platform. It's very cool. I think that the only thing I, I, that, you know, that I would mention at this point is like, there's always a way through, there's always a way through stuff. And at any, anything that we experience as a human, a hundred thousand percent, somebody else has experienced it. They might not have experienced the same scenario, but the emotion that you're feeling is universal. And it's hard to feel that way when you're in that space because the world seems to kind of close in on you. But if you're brave enough to like reach out and, you know, connect with somebody, there's people out there waiting to give you a hug. There's people out there waiting to give you a hug. I, I love that. And last two questions. Tell, tell me about this sideways heart that you're wearing around your, your neck. Because <laughs> when we met, it's so funny. When we met, it was like 10, 15 years ago. It was so long. 
Um, yeah, you had you were I think you were wearing a sideways heart, and I and I remembered it for whatever reason. And so, what? Tell me the significance of it versus it being you know straight up or like the broken heart <laughs> sideways. What's going on? Well, yeah, that's a great question. I cannot, I was, my mind was just blown that you had remembered that. And I, and um, the story really is simple. It's, it goes back to a little thing, right? My kids for like a mother's day or a birthday one time gave me this necklace and they know I love silver and they gave me this silver necklace that had a heart and it was sideways. And I wore that necklace. I wore it until like everything tarnished. And then I, ended, I think I ended up getting a new chain, but the, the, but the pendant on it, that, that kind of was on it. I, I, still have and wear to this day. And the one that I'm wearing now is just a different version. And so I think I, in my mind that created a connection to love and family. And so it's a visual representation of it. And so when I saw this one, I was like, oh, I have to get that. And so that was very funny that you just, it, it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. Little things are big things sometimes. Yeah, it's like a nostalgia to it. It's almost like looking at an old photo. It brings up memories of, of a time of joy or peace or connection for you, exactly. which is something that you highly value. And then last question, because uh, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Kathy? Don't do it. Wait a day. Wait one whole day. 24 hours can make such a difference. So many, so many other things can happen in 24 hours. Wait one day and call one person. That's what I would say. Wait one day and call one person. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help or calling the 988 number if you're international, if you're in Spain or Quebec or Sri Lanka or Budapest. Or I met some people from India last night. There are international phone numbers in each and every single one of the show notes. You can talk, you can chat, you can text, you can email. You can go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, get your 10% off because they have therapists who are global. So no matter where you are, available 24-7. I mean, you can't talk to them 24-7, but you can, they're available 24-7. In 48 hours, you get your own personal, I call them pocket professionals, you know what I'm saying? Because it's right there in your phone. Boom, pull them out. You get to talk to them. So go to betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, get 10% off, uh, and let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Kathy. Where can people find you? KathyArmias.com. There it is, and I'll put all that in the show notes. Ciao.